So I'm excited by this new series, as I said. Let's read DNA marker number one. This is Axis from our Axis Church website. You can find these. The Bible is God's holy word. It uniquely and infallibly reveals God's plan for his people and how to live out that plan individually and corporately. Beliefs, practices and priorities and our mission are to be anchored in clear biblical teachings. So I have a goal for you this weekend. I want you to fall in love with the Bible. If you're not in love with the Bible yet, I want you to fall in love with the Bible. If you have previously been in love with the Bible but you got a bit faded, I hope you fall in love with it again. The Bible is an incredible journey and I hope that that this weekend you can get a glimpse of that, of the opportunity to engage with Scripture. However, I might shock you with the title. The message of this first first message of this series is stop reading your Bible. Stop just reading your Bible, that is, in Psalm 1. I've been deliberately provocative with that title. I hope it kind of jolts you because it is not enough to read the Bible. It's never enough to read the Bible. God is not pleased with token readers. We're more, more to, we're to do more with Scripture than just read it. If we read the Bible like we do a newspaper or a sports magazine or a novel, we're missing We're missing what God has in mind for us with Scripture. We haven't even entered the ballpark yet. Just reading our Bible and stopping there is the same as planning to bake a cake and you go to the supermarket, you buy all the ingredients and then you plonk it on the bench and think that your job's done. That's the same thing when we we stop at just reading the Bible and say, well, tick that box, I've done it. No, you've just started the process. You haven't baked the cake, you haven't got anywhere. It's not enough to just plonk the ingredients on the bench. You've got to do so much more. So reading it is just level one. But we need to fall in love with the Bible. We need to understand it as a love letter from the Lord to our souls. And we need to let the Bible read us. And the stories in here of men and women who encountered the living God are not just stories to way back there. They're actually our stories. We get invited in. So the Daniel in the lion's den is not just a historical account of someone that, that encountered these bunch of lions, you know, thousands of years ago and we read and we kind of go, oh, nice for him. No, it's our story. It's when we encounter giants and enemies and, and fears that we can trust God to carry us through those situations. Jonah's story is our story. You ever not listen to instruction from God and God's had to circle back and come again? This is Jonah and this is our story. All of these stories are our stories. Hannah's story, feeling neglected by God, unable to have children and her cry out to God, God, do you see me? God, do you hear me? Do you care? This is our story. We're in this story. Paul's story, begging God to change his circumstances, not once, twice, but three times, and him getting the response from God, my grace is real. My grace is sufficient for you. This is our story. All of these stories are for us. We don't put ourselves above the characters. We put ourselves among the characters. These are our stories. We're invited into the story. And so I hope this weekend that you let... The Bible do a number on you and you go deeper in your engagement with Scriptures. All that said, let's start by reading. Reading, let's gather the ingredients and put them on the bench. But we're not going to stop there, right? 
Psalm 1, blessed is the one. In the case of our series, blessed is the church. Blessed is the church who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the wicked. But the way of the wicked leads to... Sorry, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Did I say watches over the way of the wicked? Can you take that out of the recording, please? (laughs) The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. May the Lord add his blessing to this portion of his holy word. I hope you spotted where we're going. Stop reading the Bible. That's never enough. The blessing is waiting for us in Scripture, but it's never just through reading. It's always through action, not admiration. Before we get to the good news of the blessing that this psalm speaks of, first the warning. In order to enter the blessing, we must practice avoidance. Did you notice that? The, 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 the first focus is not just getting into the Bible. The first focus is noticing the context we're in, that it's actually anti-God, anti-biblical, that there's a dark culture around us. And a key part of, of entering into a lifestyle in congruence with the Scripture is that just knowing that's going to be an uphill battle. Have you noticed people aren't cheering you on when you represent a biblical point of view in the world today? And this is the posture the Bible's speaking over us to know that understanding and maintaining a love for God and His Word will be culturally challenging. You're up against it. And this is a starting point, just knowing that. This is not a walk in the park. Expect opposition if you're going to be a lover of the Word of God. This is the first emphasis in the psalm here. Watch out for evil. Avoid it if you're going to enter the the, the blessed Life. Keep darkness out of your heart and soul and mind. The, the psalmist here warns us that a love for God that is good and wholesome and a love for his word is going to be against the cultural trends that we have all around about us. The general public aren't cheering us into scripture. When a decision is needing to be made, they're not stopping and saying, I wonder what God would think about this. And if you're going to bring that perspective in, it's going to be against the grain. Do you notice the descriptions here in verse 1? The people that are all around about us, we don't use these terms anymore, but the Bible does. They're wicked, they're sinners, and they're mockers. I think there's an intensity growth in those descriptions. Without splitting hairs, they're all negative terms. But the wicked probably signifies what goes on internally. It's the unseen realm. But then we go up a notch because there's sinners And we see this now in their behavioural, it's in the seen world. We see it in their hands, in the work of their hands. But yet it goes up another notch to the mockers who not only do evil, they speak evil and they scoff at God and His ways. All that to say, the people we hang around affects our appetite. And maintaining a love for God's Word is impacted by the community that we're in. You know, some people, you leave their presence And you just want to rip open the Bible and know God more because of the impact that they have on your life because they're so passionate about God and His ways. 
And there's other friendships left unchecked will move our hearts towards coldness, away from God. And this is what the psalmist is identifying, understanding that our friends rub off on us. The old proverb says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Jim Ron says it like this, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So the first threat spelled out in this psalm to our blessing is be careful that the, the crowd you're hanging doesn't actually diminish your love for God and His Word. Now, someone at this point in time is going to go, but hang on, John, I thought I was supposed to have friends outside church. I mean, how are they going to hear about Jesus if I withdraw from them? Well, I haven't got time to answer that fully. A couple of flyover principles. Jesus didn't send people out alone in His mission. He always sent them out in partnership two by two or sometimes in a greater team even than that. But being alone in dark places leaves us very, very, very vulnerable. Holding on to God's Word in those spaces is going to be tough. We're not supposed to go this alone. That's one principle. Another thing to remember, even if you go with the best of intentions to have an impact on a group of people, you've got to take stock take every now and again and go, who is influencing who? Because it's easier to pull someone down than it is to lift somebody up. So from time to time, you've got to step back and say, who is influencing who? I went into this context with the best of intentions, but am I being stained and spoiled? Am I slipping into their ways and away from God's way? If we don't remain distinctive in our holiness and avoid what is evil, Notice how this evil will progressively sneak up on us. We'll be walking in step, see it in the text. We'll be standing in the way and then ultimately we'll be sitting. Did you see that progression? We'll be walking, we'll be standing and then over time we'll be actually sitting with the scoffers, poking fun at those religious folks who actually believe that religious nonsense. Walking, standing, sitting. I notice when the devil comes to Christ to try and draw him away from God's way, a couple of things stand out. Jesus' impeccable use of Scripture. It's his, it's his go-to, his defence. Every time Satan comes at him, he just goes back with the Word of God. It's his one and only strategy. I also notice another thing which I always find fascinating. Satan starts the conversation with Jesus by saying, hey, I can see you're terribly hungry. You've been out here in the wilderness for a long time without any food. So how about we start this conversation by you turning this rock into a loaf of bread. Let's just get the, the meal out of the way because you're really, really hungry and he's appealing to Jesus' felt need. And that is fascinating to me because it doesn't seem very evil doesn't seem like a very satanic idea. Just turn the rock into bread. But Jesus won't have a bar. He won't cooperate. He won't go along with the suggestion at all. Why? Because he knows the devil's first suggestion is never his final suggestion. He always starts in the innocent realm or what looks like an innocent small choice. But over time, he's leading somewhere. and He doesn't care about a go slow mode doesn't care how long it takes to move us away as long as we're moving in that direction. So you know how this goes. 
Why don't you turn on the TV and check the news? It's late at night. His first suggestion won't be his final one. Why don't you see what else is on? Something else more interesting might be on, something more unwholesome, dare I say. Why don't we check that out together? His first suggestion is never his final one. You can skip church this week. It's online now. I mean, nobody will even notice if you're there. No one said anything last week. Why don't you make this a permanent thing? His first suggestion is never his final one. Why don't you stop giving? Why don't you stop generosity? I mean, your own finances aren't strong. Focus on yourself just for the next month. Get your own bills in order and then worry about generosity after that. Before long, we're never giving anything away ever again. See how these small, tiny, weeny, little, innocent decisions turn into big things over time. Walking, standing, sitting. Blessed is the church who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. As we deal with these distractions of evil and get our focus on God's Word, a blessing starts to pour into our lives. But did you notice how it comes? Not via reading. That's not in view here. There's no blessing promised for the reader. The blessing is from delighting, delighting in the Word. I wonder how many of us can say, I delight in the Bible. It's not a word we use commonly in our Australian culture, is it? That was a delightful experience. If you're British, you might say that. But us Aussies, we have to have a pretty supernatural experience to say something was delightful, yeah? The psalmist feels the Bible belongs in a delightful category. He didn't just think it was good or helpful or beneficial. He delighted in it. To enter into this blessed space, we must do more than read it. We've got to begin to delight in it. Reading won't do. Delight is required. One on a scale of one to ten, where you think Axis Church is at in delighting in Scripture. Delighting in it. And Axis Church is just the sum total of us individuals. So the question comes back closer to home, doesn't it? Are you delighting? Are you delighting in God's Word? I heard someone recently say, don't tell me you love Shakespeare if you can't quote a line. I think we have to wrestle with the same challenge. Don't tell me you love the Scripture if you never spend time in it, if it's not in your day at all, if you're not giving no time and space. What's it mean to delight? I think delight is where our deepest passions are found. It's the things that take up central residence in our mind and attention and thoughts. It's that obsession we have with that thing. It's when we're away from it. It's a thing we think about wanting to get back to and it's when we're with it, when we feel most alive. They're the things we delight in. For Australians, it's sport, it's sexuality, it's stuff. And these things have become so normalised as being idols that we didn't realise it even happened to us. But it has. Everyday things like clothes and cars and shopping and internet shopping, they're starting to become a delight. 
They're starting to be idolised. We've reached a tipping point. I don't know where that tipping point is for you. We can't see into each other's hearts, but it's uh, undetected at times, but it's climatic nonetheless, where we kind of reach this point where it's out of order and I'm beginning to treasure something that's just a thing. Hobby, okay. Delight, not okay. Not okay. Can you think of anything affecting your delight? At this point in time, I think of a couple that easily spring to mind. One of them's been there since the beginning of time and one's a newer phenomenon. Sin affects our delight. Kind of covered that in our opening point, staying away from that which is evil. In my father's Bible, he had a handwritten note. I've recently discovered it's a John Bunyan quote, actually. Sin will keep me from this book or this book will keep me from sin. For centuries now, sin is being understood as a great spiritual enemy that we've got to distance ourselves from. But I wonder if there's a new enemy that's just as, just as serious. Our screens. John Piper says, The world aches to be awed. That ache was made for God. But we are mainly feeling it through our screens. How devastatingly sad if that's our reality, if we're giving all our awe away to screens. wonder how much of our time could be spent delighting in God and we're busy delighting in our phones. I'm going to take it if you're on your phone right now, you're on the version app following the sermon notes, aren't you? All clear. That's not the thing. But are we idolising these things? Are they, are they taking up heart space that belongs to God? Are our apps and our games and our social media accounts, have they, have they gone beyond hobbies to, to actually starting to take up way too much space? It's tragic when they do. Because my blessing is not only dependent on my delight in the Word. Look at what comes next. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord, yes, and meditates on this law day and night. I don't know if you've figured it out yet. You can't meditate day and night if you're not actually in the Word in the first place. Okay, John, I'm starting to feel guilty Clearly I'm not reading enough Bible, so hit me with it. How much have I got to read to keep God happy? <laughs> Wrong question. This is a continuous, continuous, continuous meditation. It's a relationship that the psalmist sees as an unrelenting stream of steady input. The, the meditating on the Word is not something he turns on and off. It's just something that's always on. And he wants to be in this word constantly. He never wants to turn it off. He never wants to get away from it. Well, Johnny, you say, getting more ridiculous. I mean, can't I check the football score? I mean, can't I read up about my hobby? Can I check the news? Or is that being disobedient because I'm moving away from delighting in the law of God and meditating on it day and night? Well, it's not as though I don't look up anything else. I just apply different filters and I read the Scripture differently to I do anything else. I mean, I skim other things. I soak when it comes to the Word. And there's a difference. And it's what's getting my affection and what's getting my heart. Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Live, abide, let your heart rest 
in Scripture. I skim other books. I soak in Scripture. I don't just read the Bible. I let the Bible read me. It's a totally different ball game. Somebody else, the honest person in the room, is going to go, I have an objection or I have an admission. I don't think I delight in the Bible. I don't think I'm very interested, actually. If it comes to case of check football score, read a chapter of the Bible, I think I'll check football score because I think Bible is boring. Well, here's where this gets exciting because guess what? You can affect your appetite. We have way more control over appetite than what we give credit for. In my 11th year, being married to a Mexican-American, I can tell you we have great control over our appetite. And I now have an appetite for things I didn't have an appetite for 11 years ago. It's like, feed me the spice, baby. I can handle it. I desire it. I have an appetite for it. I've accumulated that over 11 years. Those who study the human mind say it takes 21 days to form a habit. 21 days. What's even more scary is they say after 66 days, that behaviour often becomes automated. In other words, we're doing it without even thinking about it anymore. We have so much control over our appetite. Eat a Mars bar at three o'clock every single day. And apart from being probably called Joe, who eats chocolate at three o'clock every day, guess what will happen to you? You'll develop an appetite for chocolate. Your body will start rumbling at 2.30 going, bring it home soon. I need some chocolate. Because you've trained yourself to need that because of what you've put into your body. In the same way, this same dynamic plays in the, out in the spiritual realm. We feed ourselves the Word of God and it's this circular thing. The more we do it, the more we delight in it. The more we meditate on it, the more we delight in it, the more we meditate on it. And this progression just grows and grows and grows. And if you say, I haven't got it yet, I can tell you something. You're not doing it. When you start doing it, it's an acquired taste. What happens? You taste. And you go, ooh, the Lord is good. You taste and you see the Lord is good. Well, it didn't happen to me. I tried it for a day. Well, eventually it'll get good. Believe me, it's not like silver beet, which is just terrible forever. It actually grows on you. You taste and you see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. His Word is such a blessing. So how do we hold this blessing we gain it through delighting, through meditating. But in order to hold it, we've got to practice fruit bearing. This is where this psalm ends up. Blessed is the church who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand the way that sinners take or in sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate on this Lord day and night. That person or that church is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. I love 
Graham Carnell's response when you ask him how he's going. Don't know if you've heard this from him. He's done it fairly commonly with me. How are you going, Graham? I'm fantastic, he says, with a big smile. You say, oh, okay. You know, not many people respond that positively. He says, I'm so fantastic because I'm in the Word and the Word's in me. That's his common response. I've been in the Word and the Word's getting into me. Psalm 1 says me being in the Word is supposed to wind up in the Word coming out of me. I'm living this flourishing life of bearing fruit. If this doesn't happen, it's a problem. Something's wrong. Something's gone astray. Have you noticed sometimes the people that are best at quoting the Scripture are the lousiest at living it? They're really, really good at, at, at finding Scriptures and coming up with arguments, but they're terrible at living it. There's something wrong with that picture, profoundly wrong. And this strange thing can happen with some people as they learn more of God's Word. They can kind of use it as a power-up opportunity get all arrogant and knowledgeable and try and put people in their place with their accumulated knowledge. Well, guess what? The end result of Psalm 1 in upholding the vitality of Scripture is actually a life of bearing fruit. It's a fruitful life. Internal knowledge must equal external modifications. It, it must play out in my behaviour. All this biblical input is supposed to end up with output and the output looks like godly fruit. And we get New Testament clarification on this fruit. It's in Galatians. It's love and kindness, patience and self-control. If I'm filling my life up with this, but that's not spilling out, there's some major disconnect that needs my urgent attention. If me filling up with God's word has me winding up bitter and jealous and twisted and lying about others. I've missed something. Something is amiss that's really, really, really important. It's supposed to have me growing in humility and growing in teachability if I'm a fruitful person that reflects this. Um, I've got this friend, his name's Jeff, and... I'll tell you his age and his status just so you can kind of place the character. He's getting close to 60 now and he holds a national management role. So he's kind of, you know, up there in the business world. And he's a really good friend of mine and he's incredibly humble. And whenever you meet with Jeff, there's one really strong attribute that he's known for. He'll always out-question you, always out-question you. You'll never be in a conversation with, with Jeff where he dominated the conversation. He'll always out-question you. And he's at an age and stage of life where, guess what? He could be the know-all. He knows a lot. He's very knowledgeable. His IQ is way beyond mine. But he always walks into the room as a learner. He wants to know about your life and how are you appropriating the Scriptures and what are you doing about it. He wants to know about you. He could be the expert, but he always postures as the learner, the listener. One of his most well-known sayings is, I want to be green and growing. I want to be forever green and growing. 
I want to be forever green and growing, whatever the age, to be this flourishing person that this psalm speaks about. And it comes through engaging with Scripture. This is where the humble growth comes from. This is where this psalm lands. Don't use your scriptural knowledge as an opportunity to power up. Stay humble. Know that you're not above slipping into darkness. This is what the psalm tells us. Find yourself delighting in the in the Word. Give it your best effort and attention and affection. Meditate on it. Think about it often, day and night. Call it to mind. Don't, don't treat this book as like reaching a word quota. Well, I've done my thousand words for the day. Tick that box. Now I can forget about it. No, no, no. Let it fill up your thoughts and your meditations. This is how we hold the blessing. And this is how we bear fruit. And then... Will be green and growing. As I move towards landing the plane, I recognise a message like this provides great opportunity for guilt trips. Because I don't know about you, but whenever I hear a message about read the Bible more, I just seem to hear more. Well, I didn't say read it, but you know what I'm saying? I just seem to hear that well, I'm not doing enough. And I go away feeling, feeling less than and that God's not pleased with me. All of us fall short of where we could be. My goal is not to highlight that. I want you to fall in love with this book. As I close, I'll tell you about a couple of struggles I have. I have many to choose from. I'll limit it to two for the sake of time. Insecurity and anxiety. Lifelong struggles to me. Insecurity not being sure of my place, where I fit in, where I belong. More recently in my life, anxiety, not being sure if I'll be enough. Let me introduce you to a principle that's helping me and healing me through those struggles. F-W-L-W. First word, last word. The first word in my day belongs to God. I will make my soul hear the voice of God before he hears any other voice, including my own. The first word belongs to God. I've been waking up this morning, uh, this week, up at five o'clock this morning. I don't know about you, but sometimes in the morning I don't feel very saved. I don't feel very amazing. I don't feel very alive. And I've been waking up this week and one of the things that's been ringing in my head that I've been choosing to focus on is the Lord is my shepherd. Remember last week? The winning affirmation for 2021. The Lord is my shepherd. I've been just getting up and letting my meditation be on that before I jump on the screen, before I check emails, before I think about what I've got on the day. The first word belongs to God. The first word belongs to God. It helps me win to walk in the blessing of the word when I give it to him first. LW, the last word belongs to God. When I get to the end of the day and there's all those loose ends there, all the things that I didn't get to, there's so many things left unresolved and hanging in the balance and 
You put your head on the pillow at night and the enemy of souls likes to begin whispering, doesn't he? Well, you're just not up to it, are you? I mean, look at this situation. Look at that situation. Look over there. You failed there. You didn't fix that. You still haven't got to that yet. And all of these things, unresolved, and he comes along to whisper. And I'm learning to give the last word to God. And this is an anxiety protector. And one of the affirmations I've been saying to myself when that kind of thinking starts to creep in and I begin the self-condemnation, I don't even need the devil to do it anymore. I'm pretty good at it myself. I say this, Lord, tomorrow I'll be better. I'll grow wiser, I'll get better skills, I'll do this or that. Tomorrow I'll be better, but today I did my best and I'm laying it down. Today I did my best and I'm laying it down before you. What's that based on? The words that I get from this book, the affirmations of God's word, that I am loved, that I am accepted, that I am approved that I am okay because of Jesus. And these things, the the first word and the last word belong to him. Would you start bringing him your heart at the beginning of the day, the end of the day? I thought I was supposed to meditate 24-7. Of course you are, but these are the training wheels that help us discover that headspace where more and more and more and more Christ is being formed in me. These are the things that help me get aligned with that. It's not as though it ends there. If I give him 10 minutes there and 10 minutes there, am I done? No, no, no. This isn't a transaction. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. And the first word and the last word belong to him. Would you start giving the Lord your first word and your last word. Would you join me in opting out of screens straight up in the morning and give your attention first to him and delighting in him and meditating on his word before anyone gets the opportunity to smear their opinions over you? Would you go to him first and say, Speak, Lord, here I am. Your servant is listening. Stand for prayer. Thank you. Lord, you haven't left us in the dark. You've given us your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's a law of liberty. It sets us free when we, when we walk in it. And so, God, we're just asking for an increased passion for your word, knowing that by your words we live. In these words that contain the message of eternal life. In these words, the stories of how the living God has engaged with his people all over the centuries and wants to engage with us right now. We love you, Lord. We love your word. We want to love it even more. We commit to rejecting what is evil and all of those 
opinions and perspectives and arguments that are around us that are trying to, trying to affect our headspace and move us away. We don't want to be a scoffer, Lord. And we're rejecting from the outside the steps that would move us towards that space. And we're delighting in good. We are delighting in your word. We're not just reading it. We're not just checking boxes. We want to delight. We want a heart that just soaks it in. Let it do its thing. Let it transform us as we meditate on it. Let it flow through us. Let it bear fruit. Let it bless others because we are so full. And God, tonight we're committing to give you the first word and the last word of our days. We are setting our hearts and minds on your word. It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Access Church is under the authority of the word of God. Thank you, God, for this church. In Jesus' name.